Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. You're listening to Rowan Pratt Method, where we talk all things fitness, mindset, well-being, performance, and lifestyle design, so that you can live a high-performance life. Today, you'll only be listening, because the video is not working, but we have Jason Rantel, who is from Better Mental, and is an ultra-marathon runner and mental health advocate. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Rowan. Appreciate it. Legend, glad to have you here. So tell us, tell us about your story. It's an epic story. I only know parts and I'm going to dive into it. But how did you get into this mental health space? All right. Um, I'll shorten it up because obviously I'm uh, 50 this year, so I don't want to go into 50 years. But yeah. uh, as a young kid, um, I, I knew I was a little bit different with the way my emotions were. Um, Mum tried to get me the help that I needed, but back then... It wasn't uh, really coming. People didn't really know much about mental health challenges. Um, I lived with pain in my mind from a young kid, and I, I actually didn't like life as a as a young bloke. Um, and at the age of nine, uh, mum was informing me not long ago that um, I had my head in the toilet. She asked me what I was doing. She said, uh, and I told her I didn't want to live. So at the age of nine. So um, at the age of 14, uh, I found alcohol. Mm. Um, I had a, a, a drink of alcohol and the, that pain disappeared. No one else was able to get rid of that pain for me in the mind, the emotional pain. And um, I latched onto that, obviously, because, hey, here's a, here's a solution. So um, that turned me into an alcoholic, which um, has a whole range of things happened there. Uh, I uh, have had multiple attempts on my life. Uh, at 24 years of age, I was diagnosed with bipolar, OCD, psychosis, um, all the bells and whistles, all those labels that uh, were put on me. And I basically lived, I was the pin-up boy for those labels. I actually lived by those labels, um, sadly. Uh, I was an alcoholic up until the age of 44. Mm. So I used alcohol for that that length of time, 30 years, and cigarette smoking and all those unhealthy uh, things that kept me in. So I'm trying to release myself from the pain by using alcohol, but it actually kept me in the pain I was trying to get out. In the end, I was trying to release myself from the pain the alcohol was causing me as well and drinking more to try and relieve that pain. It just doesn't make sense. So um, it wasn't until the age of 44 uh, that my now partner, we, we met um, uh, not uh, 13 years ago now, which is, uh, so at the age of 44, she gave me an ultimatum that um, can't live close anymore. Um, we just had another little one, our last one. So we've got seven kids between us, between the age of 30 and he t- the littlest one turned six yesterday. Seven kids. Yeah. You've got a basketball team, mate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, um, yeah, it's been – and for the, the older ones growing up, it was, it was very tough, obviously, um, when they were kids because they lived with an alcoholic dad. So there's a lot – I hold a lot of guilt and shame for a lot of, long time, um, but I've, I've realised that holding guilt and shame actually keeps you in it. So now my experience that I've learned, I can give back and, and teach my kids a new way and the young ones are benefit from that. But my wife, uh, yeah, she gave me an ultimatum that this is it. We can't continue like this anymore. My uh, my moods, people walking on eggshells. Um, I was drinking uh, constantly, so I'd work and I'd say, oh, that's okay, I'm working, so I'm not an alcoholic, I drink, that's okay. Um, I didn't drink till after 12. That was another thing that I said that I was, that, that gave me, you know, Don't I thought you I gave those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I used them all. I used all those. And I work hard. Um, I'm providing financially, but I did nothing with the kids. So we lived on top of a hill in, in Narrakan, up the top of Trafalgar, and no one knew me. They knew my wife and kids, but no one knew me. They didn't know I existed because I literally sat in the shed drinking on weekends. They'd go places I never, never went. So, um, yeah, and uh, sadly, my wife would actually. I, I was I was in a really bad way, mentally, physically, spiritually, the whole. Lot. I was overweight, ninety nine kilos. I'm only a little bloke. So, um, my wife used to come home 
and before leaving the kids coming to the shed to come to check if I was alive. So her life, um, yeah, it, it was very tough for her and, and the kids. So uh, this went on for a long period of time, and as I said, she said, that's it. So I had this choice, okay, do I want to keep going down this path and not have my wife and family, or do I want to make changes? And um, I don't want people to think that they have to hit rock bottom to, we, we hear this, you have to hit rock bottom. I don't like it because we can actually grow in good times and build resilience in good times with good healthy habits, or we can wait till we hit rock bottom, go through all the challenges and use those resilience to come back. I prefer people to do it in good times. So we wanna educate people about the benefits of healthy living, healthy choices, and then we become resilient through those choices. So when we get hit by something, we're more able to manage it. So through, I made a decision that day, um, overweight, uh, alcoholic, Yes, I live with suicidal ideation, so that was always on my mind. And um, I uh, decided I'm going to give up smoking first up and run the next day. So it was very hot. I, I remember it was about 40 degrees, and I said, okay, I said, well, if I'm going to run, she looked at me like, we live in the hills. So I took off in my New Balance runners, no idea about running, had these, I think they were um, work shorts, like stubbies or something, and off I went. Uh, I didn't stop, I ran the whole way and collapsed when I got home and and was exhausted. My wife looked and thought, he's not gonna survive this. Um, I then got up and did that every day. So I gave up smoking and I started doing this every day. Um, the changes started then. Uh, I made the decision and a decision is so important. Once we make a decision, then we can action that. So yeah, I started uh, running, uh, gave up smoking and then from there, the progression has been, a lot of changes so to change we need to change so i implemented i go up smoking implemented running so i changed my environment um and then it went from there and then uh we can talk more about where it's gone from from there on i find it fascinating that at one point you were running away from negative experiences and emotions and now you're running towards a better mental health yes so you've completely flipped it in a positive way and i think that's so important for people to go through that Thank you very much for sharing your story. I imagine that's a, a big weight to carry for such a long time. And I think the worst thing is it's not uncommon. It's something that so many people hide in the shadows and they just don't speak about it. A lot of people, I pretty much imagine everyone I know can recall someone, a family member, friend or someone that has gone through a similar experience. And sometimes people, help's available, but they're just not at that point whether they feel like they deserve it or they're just... I like, to, like what you said, how they don't have to reach rock bottom, but a lot of people believe they have to. Mm. And so do their friends and family. They believe you know, it has to get bad enough yeah. before change actually happens. And that's scary. It is. Because how bad does it have to get? And people, they, they think they've got nine lives. They just yeah. keep going and, yeah, seeing how far they can push it. And, yeah, they don't need to. So through your education, you've raised that point. Can you explain a little bit about that, like how implementing positive coping strategies and things before it gets that bad? Yeah, I'm all about early intervention because I think that if if I had have had that back then, I can't, and I've got the experience now to help others. But early interventions, so it's such a key because the longer we do things, we start to create patterns, their habits. So if we use distractions such as alcohol and and drugs and sex and gambling and all those things, those distractions repeated become addictions, and addiction is a bad habit. So if we can change those and help people to understand that when I'm stressed, we're all going to get stressed. When I'm stressed, frustrated, angry, sad, all these things that we're going to have. If we can help them have, I call them go-tos, what we go to from there because we're trying to relieve pain 
our whole being is to relieve pain. We don't want to go through peace, so we want to find pain. So we latch onto these strategies, they become patterns, they become habits, they become addictions. But if we can help people to understand that we can find peace from within ourselves through breath work, through meditation, through gratitude, through all these things, and people are probably sitting there thinking, oh yeah, whatever. I'm actually sitting here to tell you that that has changed my life immensely. So my running became an addiction. So I, I ran every time my mind would give me grief, which is a lot, I'd run. And I'd bring my wife 42 kilometers away, 550 and say, come pick me up. So that was me running. She called me Forrest Gump. So I was running away, as you said. I was trying to run from my pain and distract. You can only distract for so long. We need to also heal. Now, these practices, meditation, mindfulness, breath work, all those things that are up and about now, they've been around forever. And there's overseas, there's been there's proof to it, but we just don't latch on until there's scientific evidence. Yeah. Now there's scientific evidence. Everybody's jumping on. And it's yeah. great. But so if we can help people to understand that there's going to be stresses in life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be jealousy. There's going to be all these things that we have, but what's our go-to? Where are we going to? What are we using next? Um, are we going to use things that keep us in our pain or are we going to start using strategies and processes to get us out of that pain? It's good to have, uh, it's not as simple as people, for example, quitting alcohol because the pain is still there and the alcohol is serving a purpose, whether it's a drug gambling, all the things that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to feel it. As you said, they're trying to avoid that pain. All of a sudden, they sober up. They go through that uncomfortable period where they're alone with their thoughts, reflecting on all the negative decisions they've made, implementing strategies like you suggested, mindfulness, breath work, things like that, running, which is another interesting state because they've said now that exercise is 1.6 times more effective than talk-based therapy or most other things in terms of managing mental health issues. What's interesting is you've chosen running, which is also a regula uh, regulation as well, because you're breathing throughout that period mm. of time. So it has that, say, like a twin-fold attack. These things, people don't use them. Like the, the, the data's out now that it works. We're aware of this, but why aren't people using them? Why aren't they getting to that point? Okay, uh, uh, this is my answer for that. So we're, with alcohol and drugs and all these other things, you get we're, we're in a world where we want everything instant, right? So instantly we get peace. There's no lie about that but it keeps us in our pain. Mm. The things, and with our subconscious mind, it's habits. We want it, we go to our normal, unless we step in with self-awareness, we don't understand. So with meditation, with breath work, and you can ask anyone, especially if you've got a racing mind to do meditation, they come back and say, I can't do it. Mm. Okay, it takes practice. Whatever we practice, we get good at, right? And I say to them, okay, just say we grabbed a monkey and wanted to train it to sit. Now, you can't grab that monkey and teach it to sit that day. But if you practice that every day with that monkey, that monkey will sit. So if we think about meditation in the same way and sit and practice it, it's painful, yes. So we, 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 we have this overwhelm and this stress and we go to this alcohol or this substance or whatever it is to relieve our pain, yeah? So there we go. But you go to do breath work, meditation for the first time, it's painful. So mm. you're actually taking yourself from an uncomfortable position to go to a an uncomfortable position at first. But knowing that if you keep practicing it, that pain will bring you peace. Whereas with the others, the distractions, the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, whatever it is that you go to, your work, work, um, if you're a workaholic, they actually give you peace instantly, but keep you in your pain. Mm. The other one gives you pain at first, but gives you long-term peace. So you've got to choose which you're going for. And I think that's what stops people because that initial, I know for me, I'm becoming a breathwork uh, instructor I'm doing the training so at first breath work was bizarre and everybody's out there going but I breathe I don't need to practice that no no as people as humans we conserve energy we even stop the breathing breathing properly to conserve energy so we shallow breathe mm. shallow breathing causes us to be aroused um, so when when we're breathing like that 
we're always on high alert anxiety when we deep breathe deeply it's rest and digest and we can calm so it's a natural calming so as you as you pointed out rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system so many people are operating the sympathetic nervous system cortisol levels are through the roof something that i thought was very interesting is most people tend to resort to breath work in the moment when they're faced with stress mm. It's a practice that you have to do throughout the day when times are good. So you remember in the darkness what you learned in the light, then you can actually apply it. You can't expect when you're heightened or stressed to all of a sudden pull this rabbit out of the hat and be able to lower your arousal baseline with breath work if you haven't been practicing it. It needs to be a part of your day. So I love that you're advocating that. I love that it's a popular thing now. I know when I first delved into mindfulness 13 years or 14 years ago now, I was exactly as you described. Pretty much a monkey mind the whole time monkey physically everything like that and i went to thailand did 10 day silence in a buddhist temple and i had to sit for multiple hours <laughs> per day without talking and i had no idea how to meditate and it was a unique experience jumping in the deep end of the pool but i feel it was a monumental shift mm. and i've danced with meditation ever since over that period of time obviously the last few years have been more of an advocate for it but it's so powerful but they've been around for years like these have always been available but people just don't learn about them until they really need them yeah, and we are in the habit of waiting. That's why we're going back to that early intervention. If we can, I call them processes. So say we have a, a, a thought that we want to lose 10 kilograms, for instance, of weight. So that, there's, a, there's a ceiling there. So we say we want to lose 10 kilograms. So we go about to lose that 10 kilograms. And when we lose it, we revert back. We've got this goal, right? So if we are going to consistently be looking for that goal instead of the processes, so you're not implementing pr different processes. You just you do this fad. I call them fads. We need yeah. lifestyle changes. They, they and you end up putting more weight on. So you come back. You get to a point. There's your goal, and then you forget about how you got there, and you go back revert where you were. It's about implementing processes. So if we implement processes in our day, healthy eating, healthy um, mind, um, do practices for healthy mind, breath work, all those things, we will bring good health to us. We will bring the good things to us. We won't, don't have to chase them. The other thing with a goal, when we set a goal and we reach that goal, we tap out and we pull back. But if we set a goal too big, for instance, when I first ran that 2.3 kilometers, I was exhausted. Since then, I've ran 221 kilometers in 35 hours. So if that day I had a goal to run 221 kilometers, it's huge. And I ran that day and was exhausted. I would have stopped there and then and never ever reached that goal. So we've got to be careful. We need to input processes that will bring what we want to us. I like that it's a smaller goal so when you initially started running what was the goal just to complete 2.2 kilometers no nah, nothing just to just ease to the go pain for a run. just to change something i didn't even know why yeah and looking back at it um i used to laugh at people running and say don't you know there's a car have you not heard of a bike yeah. car? but looking back at that i was envious why would i even be looking at that yeah. so i started running and i started i fell in i did i fell in love with it um but the running aspect was i just my wife gave me an ultimatum I quit smoking and started running. There were my changes. That's yeah. what came to my mind. And yeah. that's where it started. Well, I think in terms of goal setting, how you said you went for 2.2 kilometers, you were absolutely wrecked at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And then now how many Ks have you run in total? So the the longest um, one I did, 221 Ks in 35 hours, uh, one yeah. kilometer. So that's monumental. And look, you just had to get started. It started with that mm -hmm. one run, quitting smoking, and just yeah. pulling the trigger and taking action. You're talking about how people set that goal they achieve it and then they rebound and they have to go it again i feel like the industry is set up for that 
Most fitness challenges, they have a 30-day challenge <laughs> with a really low calorie deficit and they yep. say, we're going to do a ridiculously high volume training program. Yep. People lose weight, which is a little bit of body fat, water, bone density, yep. and muscle. And then they go, this is hectic. I hate it. I'm not eating any of the food that I like. And they stop doing everything. Yep. And then they rebound and end up worse than they started and feel like they have to do another 30-day yep. challenge. It's unsustainable. It is. And I don't like when people say, I'm going to do it until... So if you say I'm going to do something until, then it's not going to continue. Yeah. These lifestyle choices, and like you said, if you make them hard, you're not going to continue doing them. So the habit starts with the action. So for instance, when it, if you want to start walking every day, put a sign on your door that you walk through, have your shoes there, right shoes. Just put the shoes on and walk 100 metres up the road. Do it every day. It's easy. We're not, and, and if you want to start a push-up challenge, don't start saying I'm going to do 100 push-ups every day. Start with five. We can all do five, it's not too much. As soon as we look too big, we're already giving ourselves an out because we're already questioning ourselves. Start with something that's achievable, start with when you're making the change. Start with something that's achievable and then consistently do it. So the habit's built to start running, walking, whatever it is every day, just put your shoes on and walk and that will progress. You will start wanting to walk further. So don't overwhelm yourself, don't set the targets too big, just get started and the habit will build over time. And that compound effect from that habit is a lot more than what would happen if you did nothing. Where yeah. Everyone set the bar too high. Yeah. That's great advice. Now, we were mentioning before we went live, we were talking about identity. Mm-hmm. How has your identity shifted? Yeah, um, I don't like labels. Yeah. I, w- I, I was labelled, um, you know, professionally by a psychiatrist with my labels back then. And like I said, I, li- I, I actually lived by them. So when you get a label, you sort of live by whatever the label is and you, that becomes your identity. I'm Jason that lives with bipolar. I'm Jason that drank a lot of alcohol. I don't like being labelled as something because if we identify as that, well, what else are we going to be? Mm-hmm. So for, I, when, when, I, when I help people to shift and when I, when I ask them what they want, what, what do you want? What, they say better. I want to be better. Okay, I said that every day for my, my entire life. I said I want to be better. I wake up by the end of the day, the day was exactly the same. So what's happened? Why is it not better? I know why it's not better now. I know why it never changed until I changed. It's because when we say I want better and we don't know what better is, how can we get it? Define better. Yeah. So we need to set intentions. So set intentions for the, the person you want to be. So I wanted to be a better person, a better dad, a better community member and a better husband. That was my, my desire. So there's no ceiling on those. So that's what I wanted. So once I identified that, and, in, and, and that was my intentions. Then you go looking for those things to find that. So that's my intentions. I've got intentions now. If you don't set intentions, it's like me giving you a dart, right? To, close your eyes, Rowan. I put a dartboard in the room somewhere and say, hit that dartboard. Yeah. Right. How often are you going to hit it? Yeah, not often. And if you do, it's luck. Do we want to live by luck? <laughs> no, we do we don't. Want to live by luck? A lot of people do live by luck. They though. do because I want better, but they don't know what better is. How can you get something you don't know? So I was waking up every day saying I want better. By the end of the day, they were saying, and I'm going, why is it not better? Because I had no idea what better looked like. Yeah. So once we know what better is, so I wanted to be a calmer person. Okay, now how do I become a calmer person? I can't drink and smoke and all those things. That's not going to create calm. I can't yell and scream at the kids. So what do I do? What, what, what makes a calm person? I go and find out 
talk to a calm person. What makes a calm person? So did person? you model a calm person? Did you have calm people in your social network? That you My wife's from? the most calm. She never knew anything about mental illness until she met me. Never. <laughs> never. Yeah. We're better mental, and it's a little bit funny it's in-house, but she, she calls her the better and <laughs> yeah. me the mental. So she never knew anything. So since that day, and this is where support is. I'm glad you said that. This, the support is huge. You can't go things alone. The reason we are where we are is because we've gone it alone, and we're coming up with the same answers as what we've always had, and we're going to go the same places. So when we involve other people, get support, we can't fix people, we can help them fix themselves. So once we get support, we get different looks of things, we get different ideas, oh, this worked for this person, lived experience is huge for that. Mm. So my wife knew nothing. So, but the support she gave, when she found out, she asked me, I told her early on what was going on, and it was like, what? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. And that, that's the stigma it really is. That's what she signed up for. Yeah, and then, but she, what she did, she didn't run, she actually looked up um, what bipolar was, what, what sort of things you can do to improve. Um, now she's actually cert for um, mental health. Um, she's done cert for mental health. She's a root cause therapist. Um, she works with people. She's good for support people because we forget about the support people out there. Support people. It's tough for them. Yes. So the, she has encumbered it all and supported me through everything. Um, she's pulled back the reins a little bit because at first she just, I just did, I'd run forever. And so she said, come on, let's just pull these things back. Yep. But um, the support's been huge. We have to have support. We need support. I think support, most people often don't understand it, but they do have support, but they feel like they've burnt bridges or they've let people down. And again, because of previous experience that people have gone through, they have certain judgments and expectations of that person. Maybe they've dropped the ball a few times mm -hmm. with trying to battle with addiction and their family's tired of it. And that's understandable. Yep. That's okay. And then when the, let's just call them, I hate saying it, but the addict that we're talking about, which could be anyone, whatever they're grappling with, they feel like they should just be taken in straight away for the new person they've become. But it takes time for mm -hmm. you to earn that trust back. You have to understand that it's been hard for a lot of people. How would you encourage people to have that conversation with people that they can rely on for support? Okay, two things. There is some people have lost the support, and we work with people that. There's, they've lost all support around them. Um, but there is other support out there, like us. Yes. We're very non-judgmental. We're caring. We ask questions. We never point the finger. I don't tell someone what they should be doing. I support them through what they want, so we first ask that. But if you're going to be speaking to anyone in addiction, it's more about don't point the fingers pointing you. Say, I've noticed something and I care. Show them that you actually care and you've noticed because a lot of time we're thinking, no one's even noticing the pain I'm going through here. I'm alone. Make sure they know they're not alone. When they know they're not alone and they're supported, then they'll open up. Um, I get a lot of uh, parents to say, my, my, my child never come to me. I told them they could talk to me. But have you shown them that you can talk? Have you built comfort around? Mm -hmm. Have they come to you before and say, I'm too busy? I can't. Have they come to you crying? Say, I'll go to your room. Just get away from me. Yeah. Um, are they acting out? Ask them why they're acting out. Don't Kids don't normally act out for no reason. So find these things out and then have the conversation. But you need to build that early if you can um, with the kids. Like I said, show them that you're there. Show them that, you, that you're there to give them the support. Don't just tell them. When we tell someone they're supposed to, like now, we're telling kids to make phone calls if they're, or go to talk if they're, but where? Yeah. Are we showing the kids where to talk? We give them a lifeline. That's great. But is there a place they can go? So what we do at the Hub, we've got a youth group that uh, runs Tuesday nights. And we don't talk anything about They know what we do, but we don't focus on mental illness. or mental. We're building a rapport with them so they know that we're there. So then there's a place they can come and talk. Um, and same with the men. We've got men's group. Um, men, go and talk. Men, but where? Yeah. Men go, yeah, I want to talk, but to who, where? Where's this 
place I talk to people. So we've created that. So then they again they come there. We don't specifically talk about mental illness and so forth, but the conversation goes there and they feel um, heard and they and cared for and they open up. It's amazing you're providing that safe space because a lot of people are looking for connection and community is such an important element in recovery and just general well-being. We actually had Glenn recently, who you know and you've done a lot of work with. We were talking about identities with things like Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous and you were mentioning labels and identity. Mm -hmm. I think it's shocking that they always identify as Mm -hmm. an addict all the time. They're always holding on to that. Of course, they're going to relapse. They're always going to be a victim to it. They're never going to leave it behind. You may have been addicted, but... You have to have confidence that you've left that yeah. that behind you and you've moved on to yep. live a new part of the life. You may have had that addiction, but that just doesn't define who you are. It's just a chapter. Yeah, for me, um, no way that would work because for me, it's about looking at what I want. Whatever is front of mind, we will find. Yes. Right? So if you're thinking about thinking about not drinking, you're actually thinking about drinking. It's, yeah. it's, it's with you. I wanted to take the bag off and sit it down the alcohol and just walk forward so all everything i do is looking at going forward so if i was going to sit there and keep rehashing over alcohol that i'm trying to leave behind and talking of that it's not going to be it's not going to be uh healthy for me everybody's different and i've had people that it's worked for and I, I totally understand we're all different we all have different supports we all need different things but for me to sit there and talk about it um, and i spoke to you before about the label of bipolar i actually was named the bipolar warrior with my runs mm. now i've sh- i'm shedding that because that's me again living in this identity of yeah. bipolar i'm jason with something i'm something more than that i'm something more than the alcohol i'm jason who used to drink i'm not an al- i'm not an addict i'm not an alcoholic and that um old saying that once an addict and always an addict no what hope does that give once an addict always an addict yeah. or, uh, there's no hope there i mean for me i, I People say, will I ever drink again? I, I doubt it. I don't think I need to. But while I relate alcohol as pain relief to get rid of pain, I will never because then I'm going to it for the wrong reason. Once my mind and I can find inner peace all the time without external sources, without those distractions, without running, like I, I no longer run to distract. I run because it's part of my life. It's a lifestyle. What we repeat, we keep. So I running i've repeated it i've built a habit i've built a pattern it's a go-to so i used to walk to the fridge as soon as my mind would start and get a beer now as soon as my mind starts i'll go for a run or i'll do breath work or i'll start breathing it becomes part of you the more you do it well you're effectively regulating your state through other means so you just found better coping strategies so there's no need for you to resort to the the negative ones because you're fulfilling that need yeah and now within me I, i don't let people take my peace anymore Everybody took my piece. I actually put my hands in, in my life in the hands of everybody, um, doctors, psychologists, all those people, and they didn't do a very good job, to be honest, because I was more medicated, more medicated. I'd go in there and they just pump me more. There was never mention about – they never asked me what I ate or how healthy I was or what my finances were like. Not a question. You see some more pills. Now, I'm not anti-medication in any way, shape, or form. I believe there's a, there's a part – you need it in certain instances, but – you, they need to, people need to be told these things don't fix you they hold you they give you maybe the the energy to then implement other things so give out the medication but explain what it does explain that then you need to implement other things to have good health um all the healthy things ask people what their life is ask what their environment is i'm a huge like our environment is so important we become what our environment is so if you don't want something in your life 
Get rid of it out of your face. Make it put barriers up. Get rid of the alcohol out of the fridge. Don't pretend you're not going to drink it. Get rid of the chocolate out of the house. Don't pretend. Put barriers and put what you want dead set front and center in your face so that every time you see it, it reminds you of what you want and you're going to action that. So put barriers up. For instance, if you're a, if you watch TV too much, take the batteries out of the remote, sit the remote and the battery separate. So next time you go to sit down, there's a barrier and you become conscious. Then you've got a decision. You're not acting on autopilot. Make it hard for yourself. You've got to find the batteries. Yeah. But you become conscious. You can make a different decision. Because we're all walking around on autopilot. Yeah. And we don't. you ask people what they do. I don't know. I'm just, this is what I do. I do it normally. So we've got to step in. And that's, we need to create self-awareness to be able to step in. And to create self-awareness isn't as simple as simple. But I can help people with that. But even putting um, reminders up of, like I said, I put a sign, shoes at the door. Um, when I started changing and running, I'd get my running gear out the night before. There's an intention. I've set an intention saying I'm going to run tomorrow. Right, so I've built. It also what it does is when I wake up in the morning, I don't have an excuse to go. Oh, where's the socks? Where's the top? Where's it? It's there. So there's no excuses to be made. Because remember, when you first start something, you don't really want to be doing it. it's changed. <laughs> so you've got to make it as easy as possible. So I looked after myself for the next day, got all prepared. But the other thing it did is when we wake up, we're we're subconscious. We're working in autopilot. So if I didn't have the reminder, I probably would have got up, stubbed my toe. So I hate life, kick the cat, yelled at the kids. Yeah. I've got to have a share, I've got to do this. But as soon as I got up, I'd say, oh, my running gear, that's right, I'm running. I'm conscious, I can make a decision now. It's the same thing I suggest to people that want to go to the gym after work, keep your gear in the car so that you don't have to go home because once you get home, the couch is very tempting <laughs> and it's hard to get back out. So yeah. there's strategies that you can implement. You raise an important point and I think mindfulness is such an aspect in terms of being presently aware of things, being aware of your emotions, your state at any given time. Mm-hmm. We're constantly distracting or numbing all the time, whether it's through social media, scrolling, mindless scrolling, Netflix, the works, or maladaptive coping strategies like alcohol, etc. It's it's funny that something that's been around for so long is so effective. And then people don't realize that based on being in the present moment, what their stimula what stimulation is coming towards them, what they're exposed to through their senses is affecting their thoughts. There's strategies to deal with that, like cognitive behavioural therapy. Then obviously it has a, a function physiologically. So you're looking at the hormone regulation and everything else yep. as well, cortisol levels. So there's things like breath work that you've mentioned. Then there's the emotional state. It all goes hand in hand. Once you understand the process, it's really a no-brainer. There are things that you can do to cheat it. Yeah, there is. And, and to trick ourselves as well. Yeah. We really can. So, yeah, if we, if we can start to think a little bit differently about where we are, why we're at it, and have some intentions set. For, I, set in, spit out, I set intentions every morning, and they're as basic as every time I'm with someone, I'm going to be present. Yeah. And if you practice it, we tell kids at school to concentrate, right? I was told that. I was a pain in the ass. Now, have we explained what concentration is to kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll concentrate. What is it? How, how do we learn it? You can't just have it. You've got to practice it. So it's about them being self-aware. Every time I have a conversation, I'm going to be engaged. And if I drift away, oops, I come back. So we can practice to be concentrating, which concentration is being in the present, being mindful, that's all it is. So the more we concentrate, the more intentions we set. Once we set an intention, that's sort of a a trigger. So when you move away from it, oh, my intentions this morning were to be calm, to be present with um, Rowan, to be a part wherever I am, to be all in with what I'm doing, not be at work and be thinking about holidays and then not be, because what we do, we we go to work thinking about holidays, I don't want to be here. We go on holidays thinking about work and what we didn't get done because we're thinking about holidays. Be where you are. Wherever you are, be there. And if you're with the kids, it's better to spend 10 minutes with the kids all in. My phone goes out for 10 minutes and sounds, we've got seven kids, so, but 10 minutes sounds like a small amount, but 10 minutes of full attention 
is better than that like when they come up oh yeah in a minute mate in a minute mate in a minute mate it's all there so i can say that i've been guilty of that i wanted to do a or device detox electronic detox i really felt that i need to go through that so i have times now working towards where i just don't use any social media obviously i need to use it for work mm-hmm. so there's a time and a place for it but there is a mindless scrolling you just go for the phone and you just see yourself scrolling without even realizing sure there are worse habits and coping strategies you can choose but still it is destructive you're not present with your kids as you mentioned or your partner or even at work your mind is constantly jumping between different places it's really it's a no-brainer that being present is essential in everything that you want to do. Your relationships, being better at your work, being a better parent, it's a key. It is. Uh, but we need to practice it. Yeah. It doesn't just happen. And it's time. And again, I'm going to say it. It's about what we repeat, we get more of, we set patterns. So you can't just do these things one-off or every second day or every third day. And if it's hard at first because self-awareness is something that we don't really practice. So set alarms in your phone. Every hour, set the alarm saying, every hour I'm going to refocus or I'm going to breathe because the alarm will go off you. Oh, that's right. And then you will start to train. We did a breathwork session uh, practice today with the guys and um, it was funny. This is how, how people don't breathe properly and this is so evident. So one of the guys goes, when, you, when he said to breathe out, my stomach was coming in and right. when he said because people don't breathe so he's, have, he's having to train himself how to breathe properly yeah. we don't even know how so practice and stop saying oh, I know how to breathe I breathe. I wouldn't be here we do not breathe correctly so practice 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 and learn like I said I don't just so when I started wanting to do exercise in gym I went and become a gym instructor because then I knew how to do it and what I was doing was right. I was learning from professionals. Um, breath work. I don't just do breath work. I'm actually becoming an instructor. So I go all in. I'm a little bit extreme in that yeah. way. But I want to learn all of it and I want to know it properly, not just secondhand. Like I heard about breathing and box breathing, right? That's great. But to tell you the truth, in, we're not even doing it properly. We, we look at it online. Oh, yeah. We, and we still get benefits from it. Think about 100%. that. You do it properly. The benefits are huge. So when we learn how to do it properly from the people that are living it and doing it, just like with mental health challenges where people have um, got out of their mental health challenges like myself or addictions, go and speak to those people. Ask them what they've done. Get some advice. Get some support from them. Lived experience. I want to delve into that in a moment. But with the breathing, I did a seminar with Wim Hof years ago. It sort of opened me up to breath work, cold therapy, everything else as well. Similar to you, went and did the Oxygen Advantage course in breath work and all the things that I thought I was doing correctly, despite <laughs> getting all the benefits, there was so much more mm. to it. And I applied that starting experimenting with my fighters, a few domestic violence victims, and just realized that absolutely everyone could benefit. Everyone pretty much had dysfunctional breathing, including myself, yep. despite being a pretty fit and active person that had been around that space for a long time. Yep. It's amazing just to turn the volume up and get even more benefits from everything that yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah. And yet the thing with breath work and meditation, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. So I, I say to people, and the more, more I call them support, self-care support, you're supporting yourself. So um, I, I had a lady say to me um, that, uh, I say, what do you do when you get overwhelmed and anxious? And she goes, I ride my horse. I go, how's that go for you in the city or yeah. on the train or in the car? So, but what that does is then it creates more anxiety because it's not there. Oh, shit, how am I going to do this? I've got yeah. anxiety. My horse is nowhere near. I can't ride my horse. What am I going to do? So it's great to have those things because the thing, the more things we do, and you said before, it's about doing those things to enjoy them, to put those in your life, not ready for when there's an emergency. Yes. We need to start putting things in place, processes, like I said before, healthy processes. So when life's going to challenge us, we're going to always. 
but we're going to be more able and more resilient and more resistant and be able to manage things better when we're of good health yes when we're of good mind and body and, and that's what it is it's amazing how many people out there that are being judged as absolute assholes and they're just in pain whether it be physical or psychological pain and they don't really have the best strategies to deal with it and anyone in pain it's like telling someone with a broken leg keep running i mean keep running all the other kids are running yeah. and you're expecting to run yeah. it just doesn't work that people just go wow that guy's a dick yeah, so yeah, yeah. But you don't realize whatever pain he's going through the addiction yeah. the mental health the trauma anything else that he's experienced or that his partners or loved ones are going through all the stresses at work yeah. whatever it may be be a bit more kind to people yeah and understand there's a story behind most of this and i did laugh about that broken leg bit because i I was always told oh get over it mate just get over it what's wrong okay i'll break your leg and you get over that yeah like what get over it and unless you have understand someone's um story don't judge them stop because a lot of a lot of times oh well, with addictions, there's trauma behind it. There's mental health challenges. So when we attack them or ridicule them or, or, or put them in jail, whatever we do, we're actually re-traumatizing them and then saying, stop drinking, yeah. stop your drugs. Yeah. But we're actually re-traumatizing them and that's the thing that got them in that position. Let's start giving them healthy ways. Let's start promoting things for them and give them hope. Because when people have hope, and, and I just want to touch on that as well, I... I, my suicide attempts, which uh, several, which landed me in psych wards and and hospital stays. Uh, I look back now. I never wanted to die. I just wanted the pain to end. Mm. Right when I look at it now, so if we can give people hope, and and empower them and give them a reason to be here, then that's not we're going to reduce that. So start giving people hope. Start showing them what can be done. Start showing them where they can go and and we can relieve their pain in healthy ways, um, then we can start to make change. Well, I think it's so important that you're sharing your story and doing all this work in the space because you're giving people, or you're showing people that it can be done. Mm. And if they can relate to your story, you're an average person, pleasure to be around, relatable, it shows people they can do it as well. Yep. It can motivate them that they can get out of the trenches because you've been there yep. and you've been on the other side. So it's a, it's a very unique position that you're in to be able to help people compared to someone who may be very well intentioned and they may have the degree but they don't really understand they haven't been in the trenches they haven't been in the in the arena they're just theoretically saying what should work based on their education yeah well think of it this way just say you want to run a marathon we go with brunner no (laughs) seen as i love run um now run a marathon you could read every book under the sun you could listen to that many things but until you actually get out there and run it you're never going to be able to run a marathon you can read all about it yeah there's room for professionals there's room for lived experience but the 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 lived experience people know that there's room for the professionals but i don't think a lot of it's coming back the other way yeah like no we're referring people to psychologists and that what what we do we want them to start referring people to us too and make lifestyle changes and help them like a big thing that i like doing is is helping people understand that their their environment is keeping them where they are and then helping them to understand what sort of changes they can make mm. um, to, to, to change that environment. Because the environment we're in is what we become. Definitely. So if we can start helping surroundings. Like, yeah. Well, it's funny that I can relate from personal experience. I've put myself in some pretty shitty environments <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> I'm fortunate to be in some amazing environments now and a lot of people weren't so lucky. But there's so much focus about putting a Band-Aid on everything. No one wants to take the uh, the splinter out. It's Mm. just logical. That's what you have to do. Mm. The pain needs to go away because if you remove that coping strategy, we're talking about addiction, the pain's still there. Yeah, And and they're running from it in some way. It's affecting their relationships, their decisions, everything else they do. 
I actually had a chat with a pharmacist that I think you'll find interesting. And we're just talking about the time and a place for prescription medication. Obviously, they're in the field of prescribing people med- or delivering medication to people that's come to a psychiatrist or doctor. And he said that he was against it. He said that it was actually a last resort that should always be used. And even things like SSRIs, antidepressants, they're actually only meant to be used short term mm-hmm. and while going through talk-based therapy with a counsellor mm-hmm. or a psychologist over a period of time, ideally to deal with your shit, build the strategies in place, mm-hmm. and then you no longer need the medication. Yep. People go to their GP and say, I don't feel good. You probably have a pretty good reason for not mm-hmm. feeling good, yep. but let's numb you up and you live on that medication for the rest of your life, not yep. dealing with the shit. It's yep. crazy. It is. And that's where things need to change. They do. We need to start helping people understand that they can't be fixed by external things. We can't fix them. They can fix themselves through support of others, through healthy choices, through all these other things, through through counselling therapies and root cause therapy and, and through support networks and connection and communication and breath work and all these um, amazing things that we can all do. Um, yes, medication is required at times. But is it long term? No. Mm-hmm. I, and, and like, I was exactly that. I was told that I'd be on medication for my life that, that, at the age of 24. That's what I was told. I was, and I lived by that up until, um, well, 38. I went off. I probably wasn't ready for then. But now I live medication free. Um, I say medication free, but I, my medication is my lifestyle choices. Yeah. And none of the things that I implement are until, not until I get to this point, not until I get to this point, until the end day for me. So they're lifestyle choices and I actually enjoy them. So when I, now, to, running was hard, it was my coping mechanism. Breathworks was hard, it was a coping mechanism. But once it becomes a habit, you, your body subconsciously automatically goes to these things like it does with alcohol and these other things. So when you change it, there comes a position and a lot of the times people don't get there because you touch on motivation um, in, with Glenn and motivation you said about two weeks. Yeah, Motivation lasts two weeks. But a habit doesn't form for sometimes um, a few months. Yeah. So there's this gap between motivation when a habit's formed. So that's a really tough part. When people know that, they can understand it and then they go okay but there's going to be habit formation soon and i won't need motivation because it's going to be be part of who i am it's going to be me the, the new person so and the other thing with motivation that I, that I want to touch on because with motivation um if we can renew every if we get something shiny in you motivation lasts while things are shiny in you yeah oh, it's new oh, it's all exciting make it shiny in you every two weeks um, have small achievements that you that, that you get to because achieving something in that two week space will motivate you again. There's that dopamine hit. Yeah, but all, yeah, <laughs> but also it just a, like for me, it was just a new pair of running shoes. Yeah. Like two, uh, oh yeah, cool. Now I don't need motivation now, and I, I hear people say about you inspire people. Um, inspire to me is something that comes from within. Mm. Motivation, yeah, we're motivated. But all, all that's happening there, you've already got that in you. Someone's motivating you and lighting that fire within you. Find the way to light the fire yourself. Find the way that you can light that yourself. And then you don't need all these external um, motivators and inspirations. You can f- light that within to get up and get moving. I think people have to get to a point where they, for any success, they have to believe in themselves and believe that it's possible, believe they deserve it. And then it's just repetitions. Mm-hmm. That's all that comes in, that consistency. You mentioned that you enjoy running, for example, in the breath work and all the things that you're doing now. If consistency is the key to any intervention that you want to choose, mm-hmm. most people say, look, you have to be disciplined. 
Discipline gets you so far, but it's pretty hard. It's not really an enjoyable thing. It mm-hmm. is fantastic like for in terms of results, but no one enjoys discipline. No. But if you actually enjoy whatever your chosen intervention is, you're going to do it all the time. Yeah. You're going to do it on a rainy day. You're yeah. going to do it when you don't feel like it because you feel good doing it. Yeah. You have that positive association with the intervention. I think that's essential. So just find something that you enjoy. Highlighting, as you mentioned, that they are uncomfortable at the start, like breath work, like running. But so was drinking. Yes. No one, when they had their first drink, enjoyed it. It tastes like shit. You but feel drinking like sounds uncomfortable after anyway. Yeah, and we end all... up uncomfortable at the end anyway. Like, there's exactly. no guilt with doing breath work in that. No, it exactly. With guilt. No, there's no hangover guilt yeah, from, um, from doing yeah. breath work. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, you just have to go through that initial phase. Yep. It's the same as people when they first start having a cigarette. It tastes like shit. But then mm. they get rely on it as something as a strategy. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is amazing. I can't live without it. Exactly. Like, it's the same thing for positive things if you give them yeah. the chance. Yeah. You just have to. You know, give it a go. It's a mind state and we can change our mind state. Yeah. Give us some tips on how to change your mind state. All right. First, okay, how do I change mine? So what we tell ourselves, everything's patterns and habits. So what we tell ourselves consistently, it plays out. Nothing else can play out because we're not open to other things. So um, I use affirmations every night yeah. um, to, to play in my ear. Um, but I suppose you've got to want something different. You've got to really want it. So you touched on before about believe, believe. My motto is believe to achieve. So once we believe something, then we'll go and we'll, we'll do the action to then achieve it. If we don't believe something, what, why are we going to start it? Yeah. So start believing you're worthy of it for starters. Start believing. For me, um, when I did the, first, the 10 marathons in 10 days, I'd only been running eight months. Yeah. And I was told I could, wouldn't be able to do that. Right. But what I did, my mind state, is I actually, every day training, I envisaged myself finishing that. So my brain, when I got to the day, had actually run that over and over. And that's tricking the brain. The brain doesn't know reality from, and we know that because we fear things in our mind that aren't real. So your mind doesn't know any difference. So I'd actually told my, I'd actually seen the finish line. I'd actually put my arms up. There was a crowd. I didn't know what was going to happen. My wife ended up having a crowd there. So I actually bought that into real life. So when I ran it, I never had a doubt. I got up in the mornings, I could not walk. I was stiff. Um, my Achilles was shot. Um, I wouldn't get up going, how am I going to do this? I just get up, go to the shower and say, right, let's go. We're going to get this done. So what we believe. So to change our mindset, I suppose we've got to start, we've got to start very basic and start telling ourselves a different story mm. because every thought we have will come to, if we play it enough, will come to fruition. It will come to life. So if we're telling ourselves that I'm not worthy, I'm useless, and the stories I used to tell myself, I'm pathetic, you're just a pathetic piece of shit. If you keep telling yourselves that, that's what you're going to become. So I suppose we need to start telling ourselves a different story, even if we don't believe it, start telling ourselves, and then we will start to believe it. And mind state as well. It's about doing all these other things. Our mind state changes when we're healthy, when we're doing things. When we're, How can you feel good about yourself if you're treating your body and mind like a trash can how can you have self-care and self-worth so if you start doing good things for yourself you start believing that you're worthy of it and that changes your state of mind a lot of people are in a toxic relationship with themselves and if you're not healthy your resilience is pretty low love that you're talking about belief such an important thing i always demonstrate to people if you tell someone there's a spider on them watch them jump to life (laughs) that belief can be really quick for the rest of the day they're scratching themselves or something they can feel that spider there's no spider but they believe it so how can you get people from your experience and from your personal journey and the people you've been working with what's a way that someone can 
beat back their negative thoughts. Maybe they've got that identity that's imposed. Maybe it came from another voice. Maybe it's their own. And they just believe that bad things are going to happen to them. And they're in that fulfilling cycle, creating that reality. How can they change? Because it just seems so far-fetched to some people. Yeah, okay. Uh, That's a tough one. Where I was um, in life was a really bad place um, for the majority. I didn't like being there. So how did I change that? I, I, I really did make a decision. And a decision is really powerful. Once we make a decision, then we can act on it. So I suppose the first thing we need to do is make the decision that we want the change. Make that absolute decision that I don't want to be in this now. And like I said, it doesn't have to come from rock bottom. But um, And then we need work with other people, get support around you. Because you're not, as I said before, you're not going to go it alone because you are where you are because of what you've done and what you know and, and you've gone it alone. So involve other people in the process and start learning what they're doing, start practicing what they're doing. For me, I suppose I... I wanted I wanted to be this person so desperately that nothing was going to get in the way. Yeah. Even though, so the thing that I lived with, bipolar and all those things, and mental health and addiction, those things are the very reason that it's perception that I wanted out of life. Now those things I use right now, and they are the reason I want life. So how we perceive things. So start perceiving things in a different light we can perceive things in any light we like so start perceiving things in different light start to engage with different people start to believe and that will build belief in you as well by doing things by actioning by taking care of yourself you start to believe and then the the state of mind starts shifting when we change the things around us our environments Mm. and we start believing a different pattern and it's so small small steps at the start it's I'll tell you now, I, I sat there thinking, there's no way I can do this. Mm. Where I was, we were financially stuffed. I was overweight. I didn't want to be here. I was mentally drained, um, alcohol, alcoholic chain smoker. And to, if I had have looked to the massive picture and saw where I am now, I wouldn't have kept going. Yeah. So a big thing about the state of mind is don't look too far. Don't make things too big. Don't make things look impossible. Don't make it too distant. Bring things back. Like I said, my goals are to be a better person, to be a better um, dad. They were my goals. So to do that, I had to start doing things differently. And just evolved over time. So can you talk, I obviously know you've done ultra marathons. Yep. What is, uh, tell us about your 10 marathons in 10 days. Yeah, okay. Because that's where it sort of come from. Obviously it's evolved. You started, the first goal was just go for a run, put your runners on. Mm. You absolutely fucked. Mm. You quit Siggy's mm. and then you did 10 marathons in 10 days. So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah. Now, so like I said, running was just something I said, this is what I'm going to implement. I had to implement something. I had to show my wife that I was going to do something to change because you can talk things, but until you action things, she would have gone, oh, here we go again. He's yeah. just wording it up again because that's where it got to. I just made, uh, yeah, I'll change things. I'll change things. And there was never any action. Yeah, I'll get better. I didn't know what better was. So I decided I'll run. That was it. That was pretty much it. I'll give up smoke and run. There's two things. Look at me go. I'm a yeah. new man. I didn't know. So it. that's where you set the target at the start. Just you thought it was. Just to go for the run and give up seas for yeah. the day. No, no, and, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, I had no intention of continuing running, no. Jeez, yeah. I was at, I was 99 kilos, I'm, I'm about 70 now, and my, my health, I was a chain smoker for 30 yeah. years. I was an alcoholic still, and I gave up smoking one day and think I can run in 40, I think it was 40 degree <laughs> heat in yeah. hills. So I ran, and 
I don't know why, and that, that's where you have to really make that decision and have to say, this is it, I'm changing, I'm not doing this, I'm sick of living loose. And so, yeah, from there I just ran each day and then I wanted to get better on things. And that's where I said about progression. So I just kept progressing and then I, I bought proper running stuff and I bought shoes that were cool and, yeah. and look at me going, this is what I mean. I kept motivating myself through adding things to it. Um, but a, a lot of the times I'd run because I wanted to, but then a lot of times I was running because of the pain. And I'd actually inflict pain on myself and create so much pain running that it diverted the pain from my mind onto my body. So that became another addiction, which wasn't good. So um, from there, it really was an addiction for a long time. So I'd just run and, like I said, Forrest Gump. And then I said to him, mate, I've always wanted to help people, always, even when I was shit. But I'm telling you now, you can't help people until you help yourself. So I was always this person, I want to help everybody, but until you help yourself, you can't do that. So I said, I want to do something to a mate of mine. He said, what? I said, I'm going to run 10 marathons in 10 days. He goes, and he was he was a professional runner. He goes, yeah, nah, Chase, you're joking, are you? So I said, I want to run from my place of birth, Kyabram, and I want to run to where I am now, and I want to start on the day I was born. So it's a bit like a rebirth. Reborn, leave the hospital, run. I unload baggage through the towns I live. So I was going through all these towns that I live where life had been crazy and I'd stuffed up. I had some great times too, but a lot of a lot of bad. So I ran and I ran the first day fifty Ks. Mind you, before that the the um, physio said you shouldn't be running this because my Achilles was shot. Mm. So I just pumped Panadol and Nurofen. <laughs> so fifty I was determined. And that's the thing, be determined. Have a have an idea what you want to do, believe in it, envisage it and keep envisaging it and don't ever think you can't do it and don't if I listen to people saying you can't do that Jason would never have started so yeah I ran I ran 422k's in 10 days um, and I got back and there there was my there was all this fanfare and banners and people cheering so um, I got that done purely by believing that I could do it I actually believed in myself I never doubted it so I don't know why, because I'd never run that. But the day before, my wife goes, hey, read this. She sent me a thing. I went up with mates, and they were my support group. Read this, she says. Ten marathons in ten days. There was these guys that were professionals running it, and this guy was saying how painful it was. And she was trying to motivate me. She hadn't read it. So I'm reading this going, these dudes had trouble doing it. Now I'm going to be doing this. Yeah. So from there, wow. then I wanted to get bigger and better. So then I did 124K, uh, 162Ks in 24 hours in a paddock. And then I did the 221Ks in 35 hours. But I was just chasing this thing all the time. Just chasing, just chasing, distracting, needing bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, it's only the last six months that now I actually run because I enjoy it. I don't run to get rid of the pain because I've, I've implemented, and that's what I mean, you progress. I've implemented breath work. I've implemented, um, mindful, I've impl- implemented all these other things that now I enjoy running. So I go running because I want to run. I don't go running to run away from my pain. Well, you found other ways to regulate. Mm. So it's not for that purpose anymore. Yes. It's a completely different purpose. Mm. Obviously, it's a part of your day. It's part of your identity now. It's one of your yes. coping strategies. It's just something that you do, but it's not the go-to way if you do a It's not pain. running away. No, you're not running away. Yeah. Funny enough, years ago, I was in a similar position. I was very young and I was in a lot of pain and I was making some really bad decisions. And I'm like, I've got to change my way. And I did eight fights in seven weeks. I just jumped in. I hadn't done any training in probably 12 months. And I just jumped in. I'm just going to fight this weekend. Mm. Next fight, I'm like, cool, where's the next fight? I just started entering fights. There's anything that I could find. Like, and like, my fighter get cancelled. I'm like, what? where's another fight? I'm like, what are the rules? I don't even know. I'll jump in. I was just jumping whatever I could. And then all of a sudden, it was Christmas and the fight stopped. 
And then, so my, my situation, I couldn't continue with it at that particular time, but it was fulfilling a need. So I understand that yep. extreme change. And I've had that many times throughout my life. But again, you get to that place now where you are regulated and you don't need that shock therapy to be able to get to a good place. Yep. Yeah, you're more consistent and you can do things, things long-term. It's an amazing place to be. It's now, a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. And I love that you've embraced that. And I love that you're modeling it for other people to be able to pursue that. This story needs to be out there more. I find it very interesting because we haven't had many people with lived experience or that have shared their lived experience. Glenn was one of the people that did, yep. and I found that excellent. A lot of people have been experts, and yes, they've had a lot of experience in that particular field, but they haven't been in the trenches as such, yep. managing these things, these things that a lot of people, these unpleasant feelings that people go through. So tell us about Better Mental. We're running out of time. We've got a couple yep. of minutes. How can people find you? You've got some great programs that you're offering. Yep. What, how can people get involved? Uh, yeah, uh, we've, we've got a website now, finally, www.bettermental. We've got Facebook, which is um, Better Mental, which is a community one. Then I've got another one, Better Mental Together, where I do some ranting and talking and some lived ex- like stories about what I'm doing. Um, come down to, if you're anywhere near Trafalgar, <laughs> you can come to the hub. We have a drop-in service that's free to the community uh, two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We run youth groups, men's groups, all those sort of things. Um, but our, our thing is just anything anyone needs, we're there to support them because anything can cause us to have mental health challenges and, and yes. take us down. So, um, But I just want people to know that get support. Don't go it alone. And uh, you hear it all the time, but please get support because on your own you're going to keep digging the same hole you've been digging. Get someone else to help you dig out of that. Yeah, and people that have been in the trenches, they're the right people to turn to. People like yourself that are, it's a great initiative that you've got. I'm looking forward to coming down. I'd love to see what you're doing in the flesh, so I'll definitely have to come to Trafalgar. Thanks, Jason. I would love to have you back in the future. There's lots more for us to talk about. There's a lot of things that I didn't even get to cover with you, (laughs) but thoroughly enjoyed the chat, and I hope you have fun. I did. I loved it. Thanks, Ron. No worries, mate. Hi, everybody. This is Witch from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to... 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karen and get down with the good vibes. If you're the Karen way, just call Mitchell Tall. Or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a summer house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Tall, tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah, a little real estate. We want more. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. One take.